G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. G'day, Matt G's here and welcome to today's 2020 podcast. Don't forget you can hear the full program of 2020 every weekday on the Vision Radio Network in the West from 8, in Queensland from 10 and in the Eastern Daylight Saving States from 11am. On today's podcast, we're talking to Reverend Robert Benn, who's a former Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church in Australia. In September this year, a massive milestone in Australia's history was celebrated 100 years since the Presbyterian Church formed the Australian Inland Mission, with Reverend John Flynn as its first superintendent. Flynn of the Inland, as he became known, was a true pioneer. He worked closely with the men and women of the Outback, constantly striving to fulfill his dream of connecting people and ministering to them in the name of God. But there is so much more to know about Flynn, and Robert has extensively researched Flynn's life and history. Well, I recently caught up with Robert to talk to him about this passion for Flynn, and I started by asking him what led to starting this research and becoming interested in the person of John Flynn. Uh, Matt, that's a very good question. It happened like this. The Royal Flying Doctor Service um, Supporters Group on the Sunshine Coast got in touch with me to ask me if I would educate them on their pioneer founder. And I said, uh, when do you want it? They said six months. So I thought, ah, that's a good research project. So I said, yes. And so the very, very, very first time that I presented John Flynn was at the Sunshine Coast University to around about 300 supporters. That's where it started. Well, from there, you've uh, certainly made a mark. You've uh, written articles for your Presbyterian Church newspapers. You've done a lot of uh, travelling, talking to different church groups and organisations about John Flynn. What are some of the things that you discovered that really ignited your passion? From the RFDS, I got in touch with one of the, uh, the daughters of the Australian Inland Mission, of which Flynn was the superintendent, the first uh, superintendent, and I offered my services to them because I'd done the research and I thought during centenary year it might as well be used. So what have I found out? I found out that we have an Australian hero that most of Australia has forgotten about. That's what I found out. And therefore, I was very, very willing to tell the story. Okay. Now, when you say forgotten about, I mean, like, is it really possible to forget about John Flynn? His face appears on our $20 note. Uh, the name John Flynn, people are like, oh, yeah, that's the guy with the pedal radio and the flying doctor. But I guess there is more to it than that, isn't there, obviously? Oh, yes, absolutely. And frankly, there's not too many people in our society who do respond that way because... While it used to be part of the national curriculum, uh, the John Flynn story, the young people at school don't know about him these days. They've forgotten a hero. And he's as good a hero as David Livingston in Africa, you know. And it is forgotten. It, it is forgotten history for many, many people in our society. And fascinatingly, when I go to the Royal Flying Doctor Service groups to talk about it, they come to me afterwards and say, well, we knew of John Flynn, but we had no idea. 
who he was. Well, Robert, let's let's begin at the beginning. Yep. Um, John Flynn. He grew up in a uh, a family home that his father was uh, a teacher, and uh, I think lost his mother at a young age. Is that correct? Correct. Born in 1880, two weeks after the hanging of Ned Kelly, and indeed his mum died, actually giving birth to her fifth child before John was three. So a tragedy in the family, incredible tragedy. That was in Maligal in Victoria, incidentally. Okay. And the family came back together in in the uh, Melbourne suburb of Sunshine later on. So in John's early days, he was uh, one of five children, his father a, a single dad, uh, something very unusual for the 1800s, and his father a, a teacher at a, a, a small school. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, he was uh, headmaster and also Methodist lay preacher. And eventually, uh, after the family had been looked after by other family members, they came together again. And John graduated from the Parkville High School in Melbourne. And incidentally, the final report was incredible. Let me read it to you. John's success is due to his commendable industry and perseverance as well as to his intellectual ability. He's one of the most trustworthy, painstaking and upright pupils this school has had for some time. And you sort of scratch your head and think, hey, where's this young fellow going to go? Mm. So where did he go? We know from our own history lessons that John Flynn eventually joined the church and became the superintendent of the Australian Inland Mission, as you just said. But between end of school and what we know of John Flynn now, there's a lot that happened. It certainly is. Let me, let me just kick off there from his 21st birthday. He wrote to his dad on his 21st birthday and he talked about the grandeur and beauty of Christianity as compared with the hollowness of human life considered as complete in itself. They're his words. And then he says, If Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Son of Almighty God, if he was in reality God with us showing us the Father, if it's a fact that we only sojourn on this earth for a while and then appear before the Creator of the universe, what more honourable calling can a man follow than getting his fellows to realise this fact and act upon it? Now that was his motivation for doing the incredible work that he did in Australia. And that was at 21. He wrote that letter to his father at the age of 21? At 21. Wow. Uh, There's quality there. And then, uh, 10 years later, he received a letter from Jessie Litchfield via the hand of somebody else. And she talked about the situation in the Northern Territory with 500 square miles of country with, with no missionaries, with no ministers. And she talked about drink and drugs and prostitution and so on. And then her bottom line was this. We need men who will put Christ first, who will work for the good of others and spare neither time nor money nor labour in the cause of Christ. It was that that got to Flynn at the age of 31. What happened in those 10 years, though, Robert, uh, from the age of 21 when he first wrote to his father expressing his desire to um, follow Christ's lead on his life and from when he received that letter saying, we need men in the outback? Okay. Um, the Victorian Education Department appointed him to two centres in Victoria, one to the west, one to the east, as a pupil teacher, they called him in those days. Um, after he had done a few years of uh, teaching in the country and getting to know country people, the church, seeing his qualities in relating to country people, um, appointed him to uh, what was called home mission work in the beach forest area and then across in the Snowy Mountains National Park at Buchan. And one of the things that he developed there, uh, and he was quite an artist at this, was presenting first aid to people who had no health care at all. 
and and because of his passion for Christ, it wasn't very long before his lectures on first aid became Bible study classes. And when he went to theological college um, prior to, oh, he would have been about 27 at the time, uh, he got involved with the Footcray Boys, sort of up and down the Yarra River, and then it wasn't very long before they were in Bible class. So this gospel motivation was coming through all the time. 1911, he was ordained a Presbyterian minister and immediately pointed to a place almost in the centre of South, South Australia called Beltana. And that was where he began his public ministry in an area of ministry the size of the United Kingdom. Robert, in your research, did you discover what it was that led John Flynn into the Presbyterian Church? As you said, his father was a Methodist lay preacher, and uh, yet we know John Flynn as a, a, a minister of the gospel in the Presbyterian Church. Yep, yep. One of the influences was um, when they moved to Sunshine in Victoria, that, of course, was the territory of H.V. McKay of the Sunshine Harvester Company. And... It may have been that association with the McKay family, because a very strong friendship was developed there, um, they came into the Presbyterian fold because uh, H.V. McKay's dad was an elder there and H.V. McKay himself was a Sunday school teacher and eventually a Presbyterian church was built in that area. So from Methodism into Presbyterianism probably happened because of that association and because of the locality of the Presbyterian church where they lived in Sunshine. I think it's important to to hear that message because uh, there are so many of us who, um, through one leading or another, find ourselves involved in different church traditions and find ourselves uh, in the place that God has called us simply because other people have realized that through friendship they can uh, affect people's lives. Yes. Oh, Matt, I'm a very successful Presbyterian minister, you see, because I have three children, all of whom are Anglican. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, uh, it is true that people who walk with the Lord will so affect us that we want to be part of the community to which they belong. Mm, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Flynn's underway, and uh, he's in that area, and one of his vir- first visits to Lee Creek in South Australia, uh, he met with the men who really appreciated his predecessors, And Flynn was able to meet with them in a situation of public worship, just the men. And it was through that association in the very first place that he he visited after Beltana that a fellow by the name of Alf Davis came to the Lord, a man who was ashamed to his family. But because he came to the Lord and his life was sort of reformed, he then headed back to Sydney to be reunited with his family because of the ministry of Flynn and because of his... um, is turning to God rather than turning to drugs and drink. Mm. Great story. It is, and it's amazing to hear those stories even today from the members of the Australian Inland Mission and Frontier Services and other ministries that really affect people where they're at in the outback. Yes. Matt, it was 1912 that Flynn reported to the Assembly of the Presbyterian Church on the desperate needs for the centre, and it was then that he was appointed... Um, superintendent. So it's exactly 100 years ago. In a very, very short time, he had patrol ministries set up right across the centre, five of them within a year or two, and already the work of establishing um, medical centres, cottage hospitals, he liked to call them, were set up. So he was combining the social and the spiritual at every point, you know, a, a tremendously broad vision. 
It was. And Robert, there's so much more of this vision that we want to explore. So we're just going to uh, pause for a moment. We'll come back and have a chat again very shortly and continue our conversation, finding out more about this, as you've put it, a forgotten hero of the Christian faith in Australia. Robert, just uh, before we broke last time, we were talking about uh, how John Flynn was appointed the very first superintendent of what the Presbyterian Church called the Australian Inland Mission. Let's take a step backwards. So you mentioned that uh, John entered theological college at the age of 27. Now, we know from our history lessons that John Flynn wasn't the greatest scholar. In fact, he, he struggled with some of the, some of the concepts like uh, understanding the Greek language, uh, which is an essential for ministers of the gospel even today. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Actually, John, John wasn't a dull student at all. It was that uh, his focus was on people all the time. And you've got this pull and tug when you're at theological college. You want to be out ministering to people. Uh, and at the same time, you want to do your studies. But the drag for John was in the direction of people, and this is what made him a very, very special minister. Uh, his problem when he was in theological college was the Footscray boys. He wanted to minister to them, and that took so much of his time. And then also he wrote The Bushman's Companion at that time, which took quite an amount of time. And the reason for that was he was given Christian tracts to use in ministry to shearers. And his response was, no, 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 that's not countryman's language. So he wrote that very, very important little booklet, The Bushman's Companion. Now, that Bushman's Companion, let's just talk about that for a moment, because that's quite a significant thing, because that was uh, almost the instigation or, or even, dare I say it, a, a Bible of sorts for Flynn's early work with the AIM, wasn't it? Yes, Absolutely. What motivated it was, number one, the tracts were not Bushman's language, but number two, he heard of shearers taking their mate to the graveside and all wrapped up, ready to be put in the hole. And the fellows didn't have a clue what to do. One fellow said, oh, I don't know what to do. Let's sing for he's a jolly good fellow. And so they sang for he's a jolly good fellow and lowered him into the grave. Now, Flynn's response was the church must do better than that. So the Bushman's companion is about 50% first aid, and then there are Bible readings, there are prayers, there are orders of service for the burial of a child, the burial of an adult, uh, how to set up a will, how to set up a ledger, those kind of very, very practical things uh, in countrymen's language at every point and to be used by countrymen who didn't have documentation like that. And that became their Bible in a sense. How would you describe countrymen's language, Robert? <laughs> okay. Flynn himself said when he didn't do too well at theological college, they let the slip rails down to let me through. Countrymen understand that. In the Bushman's Companion in the first aid part, he said, uh, men, you know what it's like if a horse turns round in the sulky. A shaft will break. What do you do? You get a piece of timber and you wire it on. That's what you do if somebody breaks his leg. That's the way you make a splint. You get a piece of timber and you wrap it carefully and then you wire it on and the leg will get better. That's what I mean by countryman's language. Right, okay. So it was very, um, it was almost like um, a practical how-to guide yes. written by someone almost as if they're showing someone how to do it, talking yes. to them one-to-one, -one, not just writing down detailed instructions. Yes, exactly. Uh, one of those gospel tracts had 
ask Jesus into your heart. And Flynn said, no, you can't say that to a shearer. You've got to say it in a better Bible way. That's what I meant by countryman's language. So how would Flynn describe some of those uh, ideas, some of those gospel tracts and translate them into countryman's language? Because as you said, there were prayers and Bible readings and such in this Bushman's Guide. Yes. I'm not sure that I can really answer that question, Matt. While I have read a lot of the things that Flynn wrote, there's an earthiness about the language. Pious language doesn't seem to fit him too well. It is just so practical. It, it's straight language. It's not airy-fairy language. It's not, it's not picture language. It's straight-to-the-heart language. Mm. We mentioned Beltana. That was uh, John Flynn's first placement as a Presbyterian minister. He'd finished his studies at Theological College. They let him through, as, they, as he says, um, and he was placed in a place called Beltana in South Australia. Tell me a little bit about those early days. Beltana was the place, I guess, where he began to dream his dreams and see his visions And he was a very prayerful fellow. And he didn't do the dreaming alone. In fact, very, very soon after his appointment, he went to Jeannie Gunn of We of the Never Never fame, who lost her husband in the north of of the Northern Territory. And Jeannie was able to say this to him, and this became a very important part of the crafting of the vision. Jeannie said, when you've found out how to combine the medical, the social, and the spiritual into one ministry, you will have closed your grip around the heart of the inland. It will be in your hands. Now, with that kind of thinking, here is Flynn in Beltana and beginning to travel a whole lot around Australia. He saw the sand, and he saw the incredible loneliness of people out there in the sand, and he began to dream of the annihilation of distance. Uh, he was stranded at the Diamantina River, he saw the cockatoos fly over, and of course, he dreamt of aerial medical service. He went for rides on the camels up into the area of his ministry. He didn't like the camels, so he came home and dreamed of what he called motor buggies, and indeed built a garage at Beltana. So it's almost as if Beltana is sort of where he starts and where he dreams, and dreams the dreams that prayerfully ultimately realized. Now, the Presbyterian Church noticed something about this young minister. They they saw some potential in him. They saw through their own workings that this young minister called Flynn had something to offer, and they gave him a task, didn't they? Yes, they certainly did. And yes, they most certainly could see the qualities that he had in engaging with country people. So when it came to a survey, particularly of the uh, Northern Territory, it was Flynn whom they asked to do the survey, and they only gave him five months, because that was in April 1912, and the General Assembly, where he was to report, was uh, in September of the same year. Who was going to do the survey? Flynn. Flynn's the man. And so he reported to the Assembly. Now, that report has uh, been talked about a lot this year. That report led to the Australian Presbyterian Church saying, well, okay, first part of your recommendation talking to the European settlers, the country folk. We're going to do something about that. The second half of your, your recommendation, dealing with the uh, spiritual nature of uh, Indigenous people, the Aborigines, we're going to give that to our International Mission Board. Now, over the last couple of months, there has been a little bit more talk about that, as some even suggesting that Flynn perhaps was a, a bit of a racist. From your research, how would you respond to that? Yep. Number one, Flynn's main responsibility was to the whites. Number two, when he came in contact with the Aboriginal folk, and particularly Aboriginal folk needing medical care, it seems to me through my research that he was just as caring for the Aboriginal folk 
as he was for the white population. Um, some people who were wanting to criticise him said, yes, but when the Aboriginal folk come along to the hospitals, you don't even allow them to get into the beds. But when you, when you have a look a little bit more closely, the Aboriginal folk didn't want to get onto white sheets because that was a major, major cultural change for them. And they preferred to be out of the hospital on the veranda or even in their humpies away from the hospital but being served by the hospital. No, I don't see him as being racist. Now, the Presbyterian Church said that they were going to uh, look at the white settlers and minister to the white settlers through the formation of something called the Australian Inland Mission. Correct. So in September 1912, the Presbyterian Church National Assembly formed the Australian Inland Mission upon the reception of John Flynn's report, and they appointed this young reverend Mm -hmm. the very first superintendent. We're going to pause there for a moment, Robert, because this is the this is the real story of what people understand of uh, Australian history and ministry in the outback areas. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.